What's up, everyone? And welcome to a new edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden, and joining me today is Ovi Mihaly. Ovi, you celebrated a birthday yesterday, our, our yesterday. I have no idea when people are listening to this, but probably many days from now. Uh, how was your birthday, dude? It was good, man. Um, as you get older, you realize that, you know, unless it's like the big 40 or... 50 or 45 Which you're many like, years oh. away from you're still 33 right you yeah, know we'll, we'll go with that uh <laughs> or, or it could be 42 but uh it, it was it was cool i told my wife i was like don't buy me anything extravagant the kids want to get me something that's fine i was like i'm good i'll rest spend that <laughs> money on like going to a restaurant and ordering way too many desserts or getting a bigger tv or something like that and so he's like all right sure i was like father's day if you want to give me something great that's you know, round <laughs> But uh, uh, we we was, we had some dinner where we relaxed, but the the real uh, um, fun starts today. We're going to watch Jurassic World, which is one of my favorite franchises, and we're going to got we got IMAX seats right in the middle. Ordered it like two weeks ago, so that's going to be my little fun time. I recently we saw Top Gun. I've now seen it twice because it's that good of a movie. Um, but the we. First time we saw it, definitely paid a little bit more for the, I think it was the RPX experience, which is similar mm. to IMAX, but it had like the sheet or the seats like shook when the, Where? So every time it, Where in Atlanta does that um, happen? I think it's Regal. I think it's Regal. Oh my God. It, but it, it was, like, I mean, the jet engines taking, like every time they started a plane, I don't know. How do you start a plane, by the way? Is it like, is there a key? Do you, do you turn the ignition? <laughs> like I've You're never sat in a plane. <laughs> But anytime they turned one of those things on, just like, like your seat just sh- it was the coolest experience. So maybe, you know, anytime the T-Rex roars, you got, got to get one of those seats to rumble, right? I got to figure out somewhere because I don't know if IMAX <laughs> does that. You probably feel it from the outside, but coming from the inside of your chair, that sounds amazing. <laughs> all right. We've, we've got a big, uh, a big podcast for you all uh, talking about Falcons OTAs, just you know, some breaking down some of the news recently. It's it's the quiet season. I don't know if you've heard that on on any of your other podcasts, but it's a, it's a new favorite of uh, the sports media is to say that it, it's the quiet season um, of the NFL schedule, which it is. But let's get into uh, to some of the OTA talk right after this. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and NFL futures at BetOnline. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's really that easy. So head over there, just get it signed up. And remember, bet online where the game starts. All right, Ovi. I really wanted to pick your brain, especially about this, because as a player, I think you can talk about the benefits and also the the downsides, I guess, of OTA. Like we we all sit here and I've been asked many times, uh, you know, what are you seeing from OTAs? You know, like who's standing out? Who's who's making an impact? And honestly, it, it, it's kind of like it doesn't really matter at, at this point of the year because every team is different. But this is the time of the year for coaches and I think the organization to really try to like throw people in different situations and see what sticks. But that can be kind of misleading to the general public or to those observing because you're seeing guys in in different scenarios and you think that that's noteworthy when really it's just like, all right, well, let's see if this guy can do this. And I think the team probably already has a decent idea of who can and can't, but they're kind of running through it all again. Is that an accurate kind of description of OTAs or or how did you feel about OTAs and their, their benefit, I guess, as a player? That's pretty accurate. Um, I felt that it was, uh, it depended on what part of my career I was in. Uh, early on, yeah, it yeah. was absolutely necessary. And it was essential for me to soak up everything I could in order to uh, compete for a job and maintain uh, a job and and really find a way to kind of 
Hey, here's a, uh, the, the, the mind trick part of it. Uh, y- you have to endear yourself to uh, <laughs> the coaching staff. You have to find your champion. You have to find somebody who, when you're not there, he's going to give you the benefit of the doubt in that offensive or defensive meeting room. And so it's important to do everything on the field. It's also important to, you know, when they see you uh, in the weight room and ask coach how you're doing when you're at lunch eating together, you know, say what's up and, you know, just small things to try and make sure that people remember your name, remember your face, especially if you're uh, on the outskirts and aren't a marquee name. As I kind of rose in the ranks and came to Atlanta and in my second, third, fourth year, the Falcons where OTAs was OTAs because we had the same coaches staff. The the stuff wasn't changed that much. It was uh, it's kind of just going through the motions, but it, it's good to just get your body back in the gear, shake off the rust and stuff like that. But these young guys, it's essential. Yeah, I, I think that's a really smart point that that you made. Like building advocates for yourself, right? It, you know, when you're not there, when you're not able to kind of prove your own worth in certain ways you need a coach to say no i need this guy like i need him out there on the field he's going to be able to do what we need to get done and for young players yeah that's essential for somebody like jake matthews i don't know if otas are are necessarily like where his his priority is uh right now because you play 800 something snaps during the season you're you're just kind of trying to get your body right for for the fall um and that's that's kind of the struggle I think the Falcons are in and in some ways is because they have such a new roster and they're bringing in so many guys and some of them are veterans. Like, how do you balance that rest versus we need to see all of you out there on the field? And notably, like some players, Cordero Patterson's not out at OTAs, but but that's the Falcons have said Arthur Smith has said he expects people to be at, at the mandatory minicamp that they respect the fact that this is voluntary. So, you know, I, I just. I bring all of this up to say that OTAs are important for the guys that you mentioned, Ovi, the young players, people who need to make an impression. Undrafted college free agents, like 100%, this is your season. <laughs> Go and give it everything you have in these OTA periods because you need to make the roster. But for for some other guys and and for the coaches in particular, I think this is a chance to tinker around, see what you've got before the 2022 season because it is different than 2021. But one difference I think that fans are, are in some ways, you know, they saw a, a great rookie year from Kyle Pitts, but I was reading uh, Josh Kendall's um, kind of OTA breakdown, his his notebook dump, as he called it, which is, you know, exactly what it is because you take all these notes when you're sitting up there on the hill overlooking a uh, training camp, overlooking OTAs, and there's a billion notes that you have in your in your notebook. And Kind of by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, what have I not said? Because there's a lot of stuff that I haven't said. In that notebook dump, uh, you know, Josh Kendall wrote that the Kyle Pitts basically said it was night and day from year one to year two, which checks out with a lot of players that I've talked to over the years with what Dan Quinn used to say. Um, you know, year one to year two is is the biggest jump that players will see in their career. I mean, what does if if year one was night for Kyle Pitts, what do you think day? looks like for Kyle Pitts in year two. That's crazy that, and, and we all know that's where we're at because usually you get better as time goes on. But for Kyle Pitts to be like, you know, it's going to be night and day and I'm getting so much better. That's <laughs> exciting for Falcons fans. I know every year people say and teams say and fans say, oh my gosh, looking forward to this year. And you always, glass is always half full. You always say, oh, you know, things can go left or right. They're always going to go the right way. If they can go up and down, they're always going to go up. With Kyle yeah. Pitts, I think they actually will continue to get go up and get better and better and better. Kind of like with Julio. I mean, Julio wasn't terrible his first year. I mean, he showed that he, he amazing uh, uh, skills and athletic ability, but we knew yep. that that wasn't his peak. That wasn't, you know, prime time Julio. And he <laughs> showed us that he got better and better. Mm-hmm. And better. And it got like stupid fun. That's how it's going to be with Kyle Pitts. <laughs> Kyle Pitts is going to get better and better to the point where he's going to be taking over games, not just having a couple of plays and and uh, doing really well. I mean, got me the Pro Bowl's first year for crying out loud. He, he's someone who has high expectations of himself. And 
What I'm excited about the most is that I feel like he has the mental capacity or just the the, uh, the temperament, the makeup to, to, yeah. to deal with having success and being able to layer on more success after that and knowing how to find the weaknesses he has and to turn those into strengths. I feel like he's going to listen to this is me going like best case scenario. I feel I, I'm, hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping, but I do strongly feel like he's the one who will listen to a Tony Gonzalez. If someone reaches out to him, he, he'll go talk yeah. to, you know, uh, uh, Algie Krupa or, or big time tight end or somebody at the top of their game. And it's always going to find ways to become better. So that that's a, a positive thing. I love the Algie Crumpler shout out, man. Algie, Algie was my favorite player back in the day. That's my boy. 83 was the coolest number to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you bring up Julio and I, I've been thinking a little bit about like one of the things that we saw with Calvin Ridley, I think is a rookie was that we knew that he could make it in this league. Yeah. I, I mean, he had like the, the two or three touchdown game against New Orleans very early on his rookie season. It was kind of like, OK, like he's got wow. the stuff to stay in the NFL. Yeah. And so it was easy to predict his rise in year two and year three. But when I think about Kyle Pitts, I think about more A.J. Terrell, where in year one, you saw it if you watched it closely but kind of just looking at the stats, it was maybe a little underwhelming. You know, he gave up a decent amount of completions, but it was against guys like Mike Evans and it was against, you know, Michael Thomas and it was against the number one receivers uh, for other teams, Keenan Allen, players like that, where they just said, all right, go get your lumps, you know, go take your lumps, go figure out how to do this. And he took his lumps, but he was in position for a lot of plays. He just kind of didn't make the play or the receiver made an incredible play against him. And then in year two, you realized, all right, you put the last little puzzle pieces like in place and you figured this out and now you know what to do. I look at Kyle Pitts in kind of the exact same way. If you look at the stats, they're they're great. I mean, touchdowns aside, one touchdown, you got to got to figure that out, I guess. But his yards per catch, his yards after the catch, all of that stuff was was really good, especially considering I don't think the Falcons skill position plan really came to fruition. Uh, last season so given all the extra attention that he earned from defenses given the way that he was used because he was used kind of like Julio in year one he was a deep threat a lot of the time which is kind of what the Falcons did with Julio as a rookie was all right you're gonna run some reverses and you're gonna run some goes and and we're just gonna get you the ball as as quickly as we can that's kind of what Kyle Pitts did I cannot wait to see him in a more nuanced version of himself and then let Drake London be that kind of, all right, we're going to simplify things for you. We're going to use you in some very specific ways, but open up things for Kyle Pitts and let Kyle Pitts go to work. So I, I think that's very, very exciting that, you know, Kyle Pitts himself is saying, look, I'm seeing everything much more clearly than maybe I did in year one, because tight end is a very difficult position. Um, but somebody else who is in a, a unique and versatile role is Felipe Franks. And part of that is tight end. Part of that is wide receiver. He's basically the Taysom Hill of the Atlanta Falcons yep. um, roster. How do you feel about Felipe Franks and the news that's uh, that's coming out that he's just kind of all over the place? I, I feel like, you know, why the heck not? It's worked for New Orleans <laughs> as much as I hate to say it. Um, I, I, I mean... I'm not a Taysom Hill fan, but Taysom Hill has been effective, not only against us, but in the league. And I don't know how or why he's able to do something. I'm like, catch him, get him, tackle him, <laughs> don't let him throw. No, you really, Taysom Hill. How do you walk? Is he home? the most frustrating player in the league? Oh, the absolutely most frustrating player in the league. Like, if, if you get, you know, uh, done, a uh, juked or, you know, or tricked or have a pass uh, caught by him or thrown by him over you by Taysom Hill. Like, you have to go in the mirror and look at yourself and just try to figure out where you went wrong in your life. Uh, but somehow, some way, because and part of it is because uh, Sean Payton was an amazing uh, uh, strategic mind, and I think we have a little bit of that with, with, um, with our guys over here. We could have Felipe Franks, at the very least, make people spend time on a thousand different variables that may or may not happen just show a little bit here show a little bit there especially the preseason and then give them something to think about and if we need a, a trick play or we need something 
where we can uh, catch him off guard. Felipe is, uh, is our guy. I was listening to, and this, it's such a great point that you bring up, but I was I was listening to uh, Chris Long's podcast, the Greenlight podcast, um, and he had Mina Kimes on recently. And, and basically, he was saying that if he was ever an offensive coordinator or a coach in this league, and they were talking specifically about Trey Lance, but he would develop a package for unique players just like three times a game. Just just run Trey Lance in a wildcat type of formation or like something just like three times a game because that's going to be two hours worth of meetings that players then have to spend throughout the week because coaches are that like anal about just attention. to They want to make sure they have a plan for everything, but sometimes that subtracts from the real plan that you should be developing. So if they can use Felipe Franks in kind of that gadgety role where it forces other teams to spend more time kind of on something that may or may not be used in a given game, that's to the Falcons' advantage. And honestly, we're, we're to the point where, given the status of the roster, they need every little tiny advantage that they can get throughout the week leading up to these games. And I think it's smart that they're laying kind of the groundwork for that narrative right now. Get it out there in the news. Get it out there where other teams can kind of see it. And they're like, all right, this Felipe Franks guy, we need a report on him. And that may or may not be true. But... If if they're spending real actual hours in the lead up to a game on a player who may or may not have an impact in the game, then that benefits the rest of the team. Um, and, and so I think I think that he's obviously a great athlete, six six, like two forty. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's tight end esque. You know, <laughs> he gave away from last year because was he that big last year? He said that he's like. He's changing up, I, I think, his weight lifting routine, which makes me think like he's no longer a quarterback. We we really kind of he, he's maybe a quarterback in the Trey Burton sense of like being a quarterback where if they need him to run the Philly special, he could just like lob the ball over there. But I I think he's he's kind of a wildcat player at this point. Yeah, he's got he's got to be. Um, I just know when I was playing fullback uh, in the NFL, I used to hate it when I would do all this work and all this preparation for a certain linebacker or defensive end, and then they're not playing that game. And then they're not, I'm like, God, I, what's, what's the point? It's just wasted. Yeah, all the tendencies and right foot forward means this and leaning back means that. And so Felipe can be just enough of a deterrent uh, to, I think, keep them on their toes. So I, I think it's a, you know, it can only be positive. I, I absolutely love the the mental picture of just like in an NFL game, that that is like life and death for so many people who who listen to this podcast, who are on this podcast, frankly, and and you're just like, son of a bitch, number fifty two is not even out here. Like, yep. what are we doing, guys? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm hot. I'll, I'll knock over a Gatorade cup. I'm I'm, I'm gonna you know, you know, uh, uh, drop a couple f bombs because I'm just like I spent like hours. Everyone's going home. I'm trying to be the diligent, you know, studious fullback watching extra extra film, going back like last year. Who does that? I do that. I go back in the last year's film and see, all right, what did they do last year against us? You're just in <sighs> the right. huddle. You're like, Matt, uh, uh, this guy's not even doing, like, he's not even out here. What are we doing? Like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. This is a rookie. We don't know anything. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm just irritated. I, I, take it out, I take it out on the other team. I'm so frustrated. Ovi, the student. I love it. Um, one other player going from year one to year two, who I think a lot of fans, you know, they're, they're going to have their eyes on this guy, Richie Grant, safety. Um, I understand and I kind of like the fact that the Falcons gave him a little bit of a redshirt year last year because I do think in Dean Pease's system, this is the summer for learning for me, frankly, and I'm doing a lot of research on, on three, four defenses. Safeties are key in that, you know, like in a lot of ways, the linebackers in a 4-3, you've got one of them can kind of be your joker or you can bring up that box safety and he's really specialized. In a 3-4, like you're, both your safeties have to be able to rotate down and fill certain gaps. So safety is, is a very specific and complex role in a Dean Pease defense. I like then that they gave Richie Grant a year to kind of figure it out and learn. But going into year two, a second round pick, a pretty high second round pick and a player that a lot of fans coming out of UCF, like they liked Richie Grant. What do we need to see from him this year? Communication. Communication. Uh, for those who didn't catch it the first time. 
Uh, Richie Grant is somebody that people look to as a leader. Um, they, they want to look to him as a leader. I obviously didn't fill that role last year, but as a safety, you're kind of like, you know, the quarterback of, of the defense. Uh, Mike Linebacker yep. could be that as well, but I, I'm used to uh, guys like Ed Reed, who I had a chance to play with and to watch in Baltimore for four years and was just a, a commander at arms, was such an amazing general because he can see the whole field better than the, even the Mike Linebacker. Uh, and when Ed talks, people listen. When Ed would be shouting out and talking to Ray and talking to Chris McAllister and even sh- uh, uh, shouting up to the defensive line and and telling uh, Terrell Suggs, you know, hey, scoot over, or they're they're shifting here, they're overloaded, they're gonna, it's going to the left, it's going to the left. All that stuff was uh, heard, was reacted uh, by, reacted to, and allowed the defense to be in the right position. I think Richie Grant, if he really takes his communication to the next level, and he's working well with guys like Jalen Hawkins and, and you know the rest of the team, it's going to make the whole team better. Because it's, it, you know, seconds, it's milliseconds that determine whether a play is going to be successful or not. Mm-hmm. So thinking uh, what the play is or, or, you know, being able to see what the offense is giving you is great. It's one part of it. But if you're not sharing it with the right people and putting them in a position to win, then you're, you're missing the boat. And I think that's where Richie Grant could probably improve the most this year. Yeah, safety is such a unique uh, position because you do see the whole field in the same way that the quarterback does, right? Like it, it is a very um, like the vantage point of a safety is all encompassing. And it's why I would go to Ricardo Allen all the time after games in the locker room to just kind of be like, Hey, what were you seeing out there? Like what, what was developing? How do you communicate in these certain things? But the, the level of trust that you have to have that the communication is correct is really high, you know, because people could be seeing the wrong thing or you could be seeing something different as, you know, a, a, a corner or a, an outside linebacker or something like that. So you really have to trust that level of communication. And that is why I think it was so beneficial for Richie Grant to get that kind of year to learn and to see and to kind of go through these reps before they're actually live. Because there were, I mean, frankly, there were times in games last year where I could see on on just the broadcast angle Dude, you're supposed to be kind of setting the edge here and you're trying to dip inside of a blocker oh, and then you're giving away the edge. Like, what are you doing? So kind of honing in that ability to, I want to make plays versus I need to, as Jalen Hawkins said, when when I talked to him, the 111. It's like you're one group of 11. You're a living organism that it comprises of 11 different parts but the end goal is the same for everybody. So even if you're not the one making the play, set it up for one of your 11 guys to do that. And that's kind of the thing I think Rich Grant really needed to learn in his first year. I agree. Uh, no, it, and it's it really what I love about Richie is that he's been able to take the, uh, the fact that a lot of Falcons fans and a lot of people um, did not, they weren't happy with, with what happened last year. And you can say, well, it's not his fault. He can get a chance to be on the field, but he didn't get a chance to be on the field because he wasn't ready to be on the field. And there are people <laughs> who hold him accountable saying, hey, we needed you last year. Hey, you, you were drafted so high. Why didn't you work harder? You know, there are you know, rumors about, you know, maybe he wasn't taking this seriously or maybe he wasn't as focused as he needs to be or maybe he was enjoying the NFL life too much. No one knows what happened except for him and the coaches and uh, his close teammates, but regardless, the end result was that they didn't trust him. And that's something that can either take you and uh, affect you and you can't come back from. If you take it personally and say, well, they don't trust me. I'm Richard Grant. I'm the best in the world. And I was all this and all that in college, you know, whatever, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm having, you know, hurt feelings or I'm holding a grudge. Or you can use that as motivation and spin it in a positive way to where and I, I believe he's doing this from uh, all accounts to to push yourself and to lean on other people and to make the the people around you that you respect and the Grady Jarrett's of the world or of the team, you know, help to hold you accountable to a, a certain level. So you can reach that level to where you're not only trusted, but, you know, people are leaning on you. So I think Richie Grant is uh, on that journey right now. Mini camps and OTAs are all a part of that. 
and he needs to be at every one of those. They're voluntary or not, <laughs> they they need to be. He needs to be, you know, up front and center, taking notes, raising his hand, and showing to himself, his coaches, and most importantly, his teammates that uh, it, it's a new year and it's a it's a new uh, day for him. This is for me the summer of the secondary, Ovi. Yeah. I I tweeted this out. I think the secondary for Catching the Falcons good. is going to be really really good. Like I I just think they're they're going to surprise a lot of people. I really liked what I saw with Isaiah Oliver in the slot last year before he got hurt. Casey Hayward is my favorite signing, and I, I cannot say that enough uh, that the Falcons made this offseason. He is such a good player. AJ Terrell is a superstar in this league. If if they can just if the safeties are average like i really really like this secondary for atlanta and and i haven't said that in a while but but yeah richie grant i mean uh, your points are all extremely valid and to some degree i also think that this is a little bit of a sign of of change in how the falcons operate in their connectivity between the coaching staff and the front office you know i, I think under under thomas dimitrov and he had kind of earned the right to, to be this way with some of the moves and the draft picks that he made early on in his tenure but the high picks were on the field early and the the coaches were gonna play their high picks that's just the way it was I think it's notable the fact that this is a second round pick that the coaching staff felt was not ready but maybe they have a plan in place to get him ready over the long term of his career and that's why this year is so important for Richie Grant to see if okay did the coaching pay off and you know if if it did then that'll be huge because, again, I really like the rest of the Falcons secondary. Um, something else that that really kind of has popped up since we last recorded a uh, podcast. The Falcons are bringing back their red helmets, Ovi, that you got to wear uh, during your time with the team. I, I know, you know, one rumor as to why they went away from the red helmets and all of that, but... I, you know, what are your thoughts on on the red coming back? Because it's such a classic look for Atlanta. Can you share the rumor uh, on the podcast? Because I'd like to know, is that an off the podcast thing? Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But uh, again, unsubstantiated, just whatever. But that during the time when concussions were, you know, a major talking point with the league, there, there was a notion that maybe having multiple helmets made the helmets themselves less safe. And so that then the league was like, you only get one helmet. You can have multiple jerseys. You can have an alternate jersey, blah, blah, blah. But you have to have just one helmet. And so that that is the reason why then the Falcons kind of went away from the red helmet at times and the black helmet at times. But there, there's no reason why that should be the case. Like, that's not that's not true. I mean, <laughs> what are we talking about here? I, you can I make just, multiple I, helmets. I just feel like we gotta, uh, you know, stick with priorities. Priorities are looking cool, like that's, <laughs> looking good, man. That's yeah, what matters the most. You look good, you feel good, you play good. <laughs> I actually have um, doing this in my office right now. I have a red helmet. Uh, nah, it's in the other room. It's in our the basement, the trophy room. Uh, the next podcast we do, you're gonna have to wear the red yeah? helmet the entire time, Ovi. I'm definitely gonna break it out <laughs> at the very least. No, I, I love the helmets. I mean it. Deion said the best, you know, look good, play good, play good, feel good, feel good, something else good. Uh, it's a, like an eight-part <laughs> thing. But uh, it, it's it's something that I think the fans are going to love. I, I think, I know they're going to love it. And I know the players can love it, too, because they look so clean. And that little bit of uh, homage to the Falcons of old and, uh, you know, our, our history, I, I think it's just great. I used to always get excited when we had uh, jersey changes or helmet changes or get a chance to do a blackout or never got a chance to do a red out um <laughs> Thursday night football that would have been fun the color rush but I, uh, I feel like the, it, those were those were it was a good game those were I, you didn't like those jerseys, I think yeah I thought they were great the weird weirdly the Saints are my favorite color rush the all white for the Saints looked so clean like the stormtrooper yeah look yeah that they have looks so good I, the all rush was or the all red uh, color rush. They looked like um, Jolly Ranchers ah! to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, 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 I'll come back to play like one down just to wear those. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 they're so darn cool. But I think the red helmets are going to be great. Everyone's going to love them. You get a little bit excited when you get a chance to, to look good and, and uh, show off some new digs. Was was there a uniform combination that? You know, when you saw it in in your locker on game day or, you know, just 
in the lead up to a game where it was like, hey, this is what we're wearing this week. Is there one that you kind of was just like, all right, hell yeah. You know, like, let's go. I'm going to feel awesome putting this on because it's going to look sick. Did you have a favorite uniform combination? I was, uh, we didn't, we didn't have the all red, but for me, it was the all black. It was the blackout when we went, um, all black, uni. black pants. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was just, um, I felt like I was Darth Vader. You know, you said stormtroopers. <laughs> when we had, we had the all black, black pants, black Jersey, black helmet. Like it was, it was time to go. And we, we usually handled business on those days because man, you felt unstoppable. I, I was doing some research, and and I'm sorry, I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but but you just led me into it. The 2012 game, uh, which you were, that was your first year not with the Falcons, which again, I'm sorry, but I just remember these throwbacks. It was, I think, the one of the last times that the Falcons wore the red helmets in New Orleans, and they broke Drew Brees' streak with a, a touchdown pass. It was that uh, the big like Thursday night win, I think, in New Orleans. They picked him off five times. One of the last times the Falcons kind of, I think, wore this all black kind of uniforms, red helmets look. But as you said, man, like they, they have some memorable wins in yep. those throwback uniforms. Absolutely. A lot of the early Matt Ryan era is like Tony Gonzalez, Michael Turner, Ovi Mahaley, man, like just wearing those all black unis with the red helmets. It was it was a look. It was a vibe. Uh, so we're getting back to it. And I'm really excited. Uh, but uh, kind of transitioning here, the quarterback situation, because just mentioning the Matt Ryan era, they're obviously not in the Matt Ryan era anymore. And what what is the vibe? Because you were there in 27 or 2007. So you were there in 2008 when Matt Ryan was drafted. Like Desmond Ritter is a rookie. What does a quarterback have to do to win over the locker room, win over veteran players? Because that's kind of part of his job description is to be the leader of a team and so when you've got a, a an eight-year veteran like Marcus Mariota and then you've got a, a rookie quarterback like what is that symbiosis like in the locker room well the rookie quarterback um man it's it's hard enough to be a rookie and to just learn the plays uh get used to not going to school for half the time uh get uh your new apartment, you know, figure out, you know, God forbid if you have a serious girlfriend, well, I could be good and could be bad. Uh, <laughs> it depends on who you are, but uh, it, it's like getting your home life figured out. It, it's so much going on to. That's what Kyle Pitts was mentioning. Like in, in that uh, quote about the night and day, he was like, I just feel like I'm better about life. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah it's the, such life, like a 22 year old thing to say. Life is not like, there's no playbook for life. They don't give you a playbook for, all right, it's your first year out of uh, college. This is how you do life, where you can do whatever you want. You can wake up whatever you want, go to sleep whatever you want, eat whatever you yeah. want, spend your money however you want. Like no one tells you what to do, and um, you also have consequences that come with all these actions. <laughs> so yeah, you know it, it's it's something that you got to learn real fast. And the problem with NFL players now is that everyone is an expert on what you should do and how you should do it. And you have experts to help you find experts. You have experts to help you find the experts to help you find the experts. Like I have no idea how these kids do it now. Like I had a publicist, I had an assistant, my assistant had an assistant, I had my financial advisor, I had my agent, I had the PR person, I had a marketing person, I had my brand person, and I was just a fullback. You know, I was trying to play with the big boys because you know that's what they had. So I wanted to use uh, their people. Kyle Pitts or, or, or you know uh, Desmond Ritter, any rookie quarterback has to manage life, has to manage football, and then they have to manage being potentially the face of the franchise, being potentially, you know, the the, the leader of a team. And I felt bad for, for, uh, for Matt because telling people who are, you know, almost a decade older than you, hey, listen to me. I know what's going on here. You're like, dude, like you're in diapers still like you know when i was you know when i was got in the nfl like you were still like you know taking the bus to school in middle school like what you're not telling me what to do and matt ryan telling keith brooking to work harder like i just wish i could have been a fly on the yeah wall. it's you know it's it's just it, it it's it's hard um but the way you you earn that respect is on the field and the smart ones don't say too much um early on until they they do a whole lot now they can 
course, build a nice little outline, but you can fill in uh, the outline, you know, fill in uh, the, uh, the the plan once you start actually showing up on OTAs, showing up in minicamp, showing up in preseason. You know, a couple of games in, people will start to roll with you if you're doing all the right things. Yeah. So they, they have a, a tough road ahead of them, but it's possible. Well, that's like one of the, I, I think I saw Tony Gonzalez tweet uh, like a while back, you know, it could have been a year or so or whatever, but basically a video of Matt Ryan, I think during that like 2009 season, because I think that's when, when Tony came over, but really early on in his career, kind of walking over to Tony Gonzalez, who was already a surefire Hall of Famer and just being like, dude, I need you to be here, like not there here when I'm throwing the ball, you know, and just like the attention to detail that a quarterback has to have and then get everybody on the same page is, is always what I respected about Matt Ryan. But Marcus Mariota now kind of being that new Matt Ryan is an interesting proposition because how would you feel about uh, at this point, like we're veering into journeyman territory for Marcus Mariota. It's, it's not the Ryan Fitzpatrick level, but a player like that who clearly is respected and admired for a reason because multiple locker rooms have been able to gel with him. He's been able to have success with with different teams, uh, even though with the Raiders, you know, it was just really in like kind of spot starts. But players clearly like the dude and all of that. So, you know, in the 2007 season, especially your first year with Atlanta, you had a lot of different quarterbacks. You know, Chris Redman was in there. Joey Harrington started the season. Byron Leftwich, like, how do you get the 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 feel of different dudes who are different points of their career and kind of like what are their leadership styles like? And how do you think like Marcus Mariota can win over this locker room? Um, I know that with uh with uh, Joey and with uh, Byron, um, you know both nice guys off the field, but they didn't really win over the locker room. And part of the reason was because they, um, they felt like they were God's gift to quarterbacks and God's gift to, I guess, <laughs> Joey Harrington in 2007 felt like he was God's gift to quarterbacks. Still he, he came in and I, I, confidence is important. I get that. You have to be confident. You can't come in with no confidence, <laughs> but it was arrogance. It was arrogance in the meeting room, in the, locker room and uh, on the field and i was like dude like you don't have your shit together like calm the f down like i i, I get it like demanding this demand that you need to demand excellence like, out of your troops out of your team but it was just the whole vibe was was off and um as bad as it was i mean everyone was set up for failure because we'd pretty much given up after we the first couple of losses after you know golden mike big situation it was a hardship turn around but guy who did the best was Chris Redmond because Chris was authentic. That's what made people love Chris. And if you you know look at the stats, I believe he started the, the majority of the games for the Falcons uh, that, that season because, you know, we, yeah. we, we believed in Chris. We trusted Chris. You know, Chris was realistic. He's like, hey, guys, uh, it's an uphill climb, but what we're, gonna, we're not going to do is give up. What we're not going to do is uh, put a, a shit effort on on the field. He's like, all of us want contracts. All of us got families to feed. <laughs> all of us need, need to ball, ball the fuck out today. Let's go out there. I mean, he was just like, just real. And he's like, hey, yeah. make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. And and that's what, uh, granted, I was a Chris in Baltimore, so I, I knew him already. I kind of knew. I, I was this advocate. You know, I, I was the guy saying, hey. This guy's for real. Listen to this man. Yeah, this this yeah. guy, you know, he, he wants to win. He's going to work work his butt off. But uh, for um, for Marcus Mariota as journeyman, he's someone who, from all accounts, is a nice guy, uh, yeah. a real nice guy. But but has that edge and wants to win. Everyone saw him, and probably more people know him for what he did in college, and for the the amazing athletic ability he had to go along with uh, some pretty good uh, pretty good arm. So. Any any uh time uh, with the right, you know, tinkering with the right group, can maybe reignite that. So that potential, I think, makes it exciting to where people, are, I think, hopefully, will give him a chance. Marcus Mariota versus Jameis Winston, Week One, that number one and number two pick in the same draft. <clears throat> it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be good. Um, 
going to be it's going to be interesting. Yeah, uh, we've come a long way. You know, <laughs> like that that 2015 draft was not especially great. Uh, I, I think it's actually noteworthy because like none of the first round picks signed a second contract with their team or it like Todd Gurley was the one that did. And it, it's like th- they it, like notably and, and memorably regret that. So, <laughs> like, it's it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see to see that matchup. But assuming things because the first seven games of the year are are so tough and, and they really do have just a gauntlet outside of Seattle and maybe New Orleans. Like we're talking about those as kind of the easier games in that stretch. Do you think that they should hand the ball over to Desmond Ritter sooner rather than later? Or should they get kind of like what kind of leash do you think Marcus Mariota has assuming things don't go well? Obviously, if if they're coming out of this like five and two, Marcus Mariota is probably starting the rest of the games like the season just given the teams that they will have beaten on the course of that. But if they're 0-4, you know, like what what kind of leash do you think Marcus Mariota has here? A very short leash. Because um, Desmond Ritter, and we keep talking about that, you know, has the, everyone's clicking their heels three times and wishing that we can get a Russell Wilson situation out of this to where the guy's just <laughs> unbelievable, um, you know, uh, talent, and can come out of nowhere, can be poised and strike when uh, the iron's hot. I don't know if he can be that in year one. I think uh, Russell's situation was an outlier. It's not what happens a lot. Uh, <laughs> so they want to see what Desmond Ritter has. I, I don't feel like if they switch from Marcus to Desmond, they can't switch back to Marcus. So I feel like they're going to try Desmond earlier on. You know, win, lose, or draw, they're going to want to see game two or three what uh, Desmond's going to mm-hmm. do. That's if he doesn't start because he has an amazing training camp. Now, that's that's definitely possible, too. But yeah, whether they, they start Marcus or Marcus comes as a backup, it doesn't change anything for the Falcons. Whether they see if Desmond Ritter could actually be the guy and put him through the fire, that changes everything because that's going to, change the whole are we going to draft you know an Alabama quarterback in the top you know three four five picks or number one pick next year or do we have a diamond in the rough that allows us to go and get some more defensive ends and it's more offensive linemen so I, I think yeah Desmond's gonna it, get some good time that is a great point uh, honestly because you got to know what you have right uh, that's you can only get so much on the practice field and Frankly, during the season, you're you're not giving your backup quarterback too many meaningful reps because you need to get your starter ready. So it, it's one of those where, yeah, you got to like Desmond Ritter should play every single snap this preseason. <laughs> I don't think Marcus Mariota needs to really see the field too, too much, um, even though they may throw him out there just to kind of get everybody some consistency. But Desmond Ritter needs to be thrown the hell out of the ball uh, during the month of August. And I, I do agree with you. I, I don't think it's a guarantee at this point that, that Marcus Mariota is the starter. Like, I mean, Desmond Ritter could have an awesome training camp and, and unseat him, but I do like the notion of give him kind of that redshirt year and, and let him learn, let him see. But maybe the back half of the year, that's when you start kind of like the Patrick Mahomes a little bit. I hate throwing out, you know, great, great players just to. He only had one year that rookie year, but he did he did sit. The Falcons don't have the luxury of necessarily letting somebody sit. And if you're going to let him get the reps, let him get the reps this year instead of next year, because next year is when you're kind of pushing your chips into the middle of the table um, because they've got the the free agency money to be able to spend. But let's let's wrap things up. And I want to ask you, what are you more confident in? right now, the offense or the defense, given everything. I feel like we've talked a lot about offense on this podcast, but given some of the question marks on offense, you don't have Julio, you don't have Calvin Ridley, you don't have Matt Ryan, you know, you do have Arthur Smith, you do have Kyle Pitts, you Chris Lindstrom, Jake Matthews, they're still here, but it feels much more even now than it has in previous years between the offense and the defense with this team. So which side of the ball are you a little bit more confident in heading into the season? I'm still confident with uh, offense because I, 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 I mean, AJ's great, 
don't throw his way. We have a, a better secondary corner opposite of him. Um, linebackers, the uh, the new uh, guy, the rookie that we got, the tall, uh, lanky guy. Troy Anderson? Yeah, Troy. We'll, we'll see if Troy can uh, be all that it's cracked up to be. There are still some angry Falcons fans that we didn't go with a Georgia guy. When uh, people people were mad at you at your comments on Troy Anderson after we drafted him, Ovi. Were they? Yeah. Because uh, I am going to go back to this a year from now, and we'll see <laughs> if Troy is better than our homegrown Georgia boy who was, I, again. The Kobe Dean? Yeah, the Kobe Dean. We, we, we don't know what exactly was wrong with him health-wise for the why the Falcons chose him, but, but it can't be. We just think that Troy's better than Nicobe Dean. That can't be it. Because Nicobe Dean, I feel like, is going to have a better career in the NFL than, than Troy. And I... Uh, all right, I'm, I'm writing this down. I we're a Troy year from best, now, we're going... You know, but it's just looking at college careers. A blind man can look at both these guys' well, college yeah, careers and he, say that this guy is going to be a better NFL player than this guy. Now, I'm not but how many players have we seen come out of Alabama who have won multiple national championships and and then not really panned out in the NFL? Like it's just two different things. You can dominate in college and then not you know not evolve in the NFL. That's true, but the guys who dominate in college have a better chance to dominate in the NFL versus the guys who don't dominate in college uh, and their chance <laughs> to dominate in the NFL. That's just sometimes the the easy answer is the right answer, or the right answer is the easy answer. And, uh, and and that's my case here. So I, I still have a question mark with him. Grady Jarrett is Grady Jarrett. going to give us everything we need. I'm excited about our rookie defensive end. Um, but I'm going with offense because I, I just think Kyle Pitts, I mean, the man's saying himself, he's going night and day. If he can get better, I don't care who's throwing the ball, throw it up there. And we have a chance to do some exciting things. I think the Falcons have more talent on offense. But I, I, I weirdly, I like the defense they're putting together. And I, I say that because the jobs of offenses and defenses are just inherently different, right? Like in offense, it's one player has the ball in his hands. And you can just get the ball to your best player and kind of win some games by, by just be, having one absolutely great player on offense. Defense, it's got to be more in kind of tune with the other guys on that side of the ball. It's 11 guys trying to tackle one. And so you need all 11 to have a certain level of ability. And that's kind of, I think the Falcons have raised the floor of their defensive talent. And kind of going into this, I'm more interested in the defense than I am the offense, frankly. And, and that's kind of the first time that I felt that maybe since 2018. I really felt 2018 had the chance to be the best Falcons team because of the defense. And then Keanu Neal and Deion Jones went out for the year in back-to-back -back games to start that season. And then the spine of the defense was just shattered. But that's the last time that I really felt excited for a defensive Falcons team outside of this year. And I'm kind of interested to see what the new linebacker situation looks like, um, You know what they are able to do on the defensive line. And then again, like I said, summer of the secondary for me. It's it's uh, I'm really excited about what the Falcons have in AJ Terrell and, and the group there on the back end. So, you know, we'll see. But have your thoughts changed on this team at all since the last time we spoke? You know, kind of feeling optimistic at all. Still like six wins. That's kind of where I have them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm around six wins. Uh, it's it's around the same. I, my thoughts will change after uh, they put the pads on and start hitting and we start seeing yeah. some. Um, video footage of how uh, our quarterbacks are doing. How's Marcus doing? How's <laughs> I'm I'm so excited to see this quarterback battle because I, I want to see if uh, Desmond can step up to the plate. I want to see if Marcus has anything left in the tank, and I, I want to see if our um, if our defensive uh, uh, rookies that we drafted are, are going to be able to play in the NFL because the strength, the speed, the the violence factor is such. Uh, so so much higher here in the NFL can be great in the, in college, and I know I'm contradicting myself, but it doesn't guarantee you're going to be great in the NFL. You have a better chance, uh, but you still need to be able to adjust. And so playing against our guys is one thing, but finally going against other guys who are trying to take your head off and fight for their families, 
and for their futures is going to show a lot about your preparedness to play in this league. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go up to a couple of training camp practices this, uh, this season. I'm excited. It'll be the first time since 2020 that I've been uh, up there to, to kind of watch the team in person. And that's exactly what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah. Quarterbacks, you know, when they, when they split them off and it's quarterbacks and receivers, like Matt Ryan was impeccable in his just attention to detail. Hey, you need to be like, get set, get ready. Like the, the whole get fucking set thing, like that, that was a peek behind the curtain of Matt Ryan is, yep. you know, that's what he does out there on the practice field. So I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of get to watch the quarterbacks and how they interact with the rest of the team on top of everything that you just said, the intensity, just, you know, what, what is the feel of the team like? Because it's different every single year. And you can kind of tell just immediately, all right, this guy belongs, this guy doesn't. And that, that's, that's what I'm really excited uh, to see. But Ovi, thank you so much, man. This has been a great podcast. I love getting your thoughts on everything. Uh, as always, today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. Please like, uh, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Let everybody know where they can find us. Ovi, before we get out of here, any final thoughts or comments? I'll be at uh, training camp on the 14th. I'm going to uh, Jake's Heck yeah. to kiss some babies. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to on the next podcast giving you some uh, real live uh, accounts of how the team looks from my point of view. Yes, absolutely. We need to do that. Um, so we we will. We will do that. And let's uh, let's definitely connect when we're, uh, we're when we're up there. All right. Sounds good, boss. All right. Thank you, man. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.